yes, while it's true that we can all be under the same umbrella of circumstances, it's really, and this takes us back to the definition of stress. Stress, essentially, which is the backbone of burnout, right? Stress is about perception. So it's having these circumstances and then it's the story that you tell yourself about what it means. So when you have all these things going on in your life and you tell yourself the story like, I can't handle this, this is too much for me, then you start feeling overwhelmed. And then if that's like your story every day when you go into the office or every day when you're trying to run your life out of your house or whatever the case may be, that's when it becomes chronic. Hello, my fellow humans, and welcome back to another episode of the Healthy, Happy Human Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Levitin, and every week I bring you discussions on topics to help you build a healthy mind, a happy body, and hopefully become an all-around better human. Because a rising tide raises all ships, and better humans make a better humanity. Remember, we're all in this together. If you want to keep on this journey with me, you can subscribe to the Healthy, Happy Newsletter a weekly Friday email where I send out tips and tidbits of the things that I've been learning about and powerful quotes and just general helpful resources that I think will help you on your journey. It's completely free and the link to register is in the show notes. If while you're listening today, you're enjoying what you hear, take a second and snap a quick screenshot and upload it to Instagram and tag me at Paul Levitin so I can share in your enthusiasm and repost it to my audience. It really makes my day to see these. And If you get value from today's show, don't forget to share this episode with a friend or family member so that they can get some value along with you. And with that, it's time to start today's episode. Let's go and let's grow. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Sharon Grossman. Dr. Grossman is a success coach, a speaker, and the author of the Amazon bestseller, The 7E Solution to Burnout. She helps high achievers crack the code of their burnout so that they can find tailored solutions for recovery. And she's created a signature grounded yet practical approach to dealing with burnout, which she has shared with numerous organizations, nonprofits, and universities around the world, and she's here to share with you today. I'm so grateful for Dr. Grossman and this conversation because burnout is a huge problem in today's society. I'm sure that it's not news to anyone listening that people are overstressed, overtired, and quite often at the end of their rope. So let's hear what Dr. Grossman has to say about breaking down burnout so that you can learn how to deal with today's go, go, go modern world. Okay, Dr. Sharon Grossman, thank you for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited about it as well. So the first question that I have, being that we're recording this on a Friday afternoon at the end of a very long first week of the year for me here in 2022 is how do you define burnout? And you know, what are some of the things that might tell me if this is something that I'm dealing with? That's a super good question. Uh, and I, a place I actually really like to start off with because We want to make sure we're all speaking the same language. So burnout in a very simple way of defining it is just chronic stress. And that's quite different from what we think of as acute stress, because usually when we experience something and it's stressful, it doesn't last. And so we're able to recover from it pretty quickly. But when that stressor is something that we continue to come across day in and day out as often happens with our work, then we end up 
not having that opportunity to recover. And that's where it continues to build and build and build. And then we end up breaking down in the process. So I don't know if you've had an experience like that, that comes to mind as I say this, but that's, that's typically um, the thing that brings that up. And so I'll give just some examples uh, so people can try to figure out if this is something that they've experienced. Because one of the things that I've actually found, Paul, is that people actually aren't aware that they're burning out as it's happening. And then they'll kind of have that aha moment in retrospect. They'll say like, oh yeah, like now that I think back on it three years ago when I was working at that other job, I realized now I was burned out. And I think it's really important to be able to understand what burnout is so you can actually intervene in the process rather than wait until it's too late. So people burn out for different reasons. And so everybody's burnout story is a little bit different. This is some of the stuff that I like to talk about so people can really identify their version of burnout. And so, for instance, like you might be burning out because in your place of work, there's like racism, you know, and and they're being really biased or they're not being fair, you know, and in somebody else's situation, it might be because there's this culture that they expect you to work around the clock. Even when you go on vacation, they keep calling you and emailing you and texting you. And there's always this expectation of like getting things done. And then you worry about if I don't get things done now when I'm on vacation, then when I get back, there's going to be this whole pile up of things. So we're constantly on and we don't have that opportunity to recover. And for somebody else, it might be burnout because they just don't feel fulfilled in the role. And they're always, they're just like, maybe not challenged. They're bored with the work that they're doing. So there's so many different flavors to this. You have to figure out what it is that's going on for you. But ultimately the place to start is to understand what burnout is. And a great way to identify that is based on the symptoms, what to look out for. And so when you look at the literature, they kind of point to three main things. And I I would say burnout is a lot bigger than this, but let's just kind of start out by naming those. And that is exhaustion. And when they say that, they really mean more of a mental exhaustion, which means that it's hard for you to focus. It's hard for you to uh, pay attention to things like just mentally you're offline. It's hard for you to just get in the zone because your mind is just fried. So concentration goes out the window. One of the things we see is cynicism. So your attitude starts to change. You're like, oh, this is never going to work. I'm never going to be able to get this done. Your whole attitude towards work is influenced. And then ultimately, the third symptom is that you see your productivity go down. And that's not really a big surprise when you can't focus and you've got a negative attitude. So that's just kind of the beginning of how we talk about burnout symptoms, but it goes so much deeper than that. And if you talk to anybody who's been burned out and they tell you their story, you'll see how deep they go into it because it also 
affects every part of your being, every part of your life. So, you know, it's hard for us to just leave work at work. We take it home with us, starts to affect our health, it affects our relationships. And if you're the kind of person who is feeling some of these things and you're not slowing down, then your body starts to break down, right? And I've heard of really extreme cases of burnout where people don't get the message and they keep pushing and pushing and they get hospitalized and they develop autoimmune diseases and their hair starts falling out and they develop cancer and all these things are like happening. And then finally, after maybe the third hospitalization, they're like, you know what, maybe I need to slow down. So for a lot of us, I think burnout is just like a wake up call that something needs to change. Right. And I, I appreciate you going over those, those symptoms and I'm sure there, there are many more, but specifically uh, those first three, and there, there's a lot in there that I want to unpack a bit, but, but I actually had this question written down already. And as you're going over this, it just, it, it makes me think, and I can't help, but maybe this is my own cynicism, but as you're going through all of this, isn't this just life? in 2022. If I'm someone listening to this and you're like, well, if you're exhausted and your productivity is down and you're, and you're feeling you're, you're feeling like a little like, eh, who isn't like that at the end of a pandemic? That's not even the end because we're still in the, in the thick of it. And who is dealing with work, as you said, in the year 2022, when we're always connected and we're always on and we'd never get, you know, the, as soon as I go home from work, there's emails and there's social media and there's this, there's that and the other thing. So, so how do I discern what's burnout and what's just life at this point? Well, if you talk to somebody who's burned out, given everything you just described and somebody who isn't, then you can see that they have very similar circumstances, but they're feeling different about it or they're functioning differently in those circumstances. And so, yes, while it's true that we can all be under the same umbrella of circumstances, it's really, and this takes us back to the definition of stress, stress, essentially, which is the backbone of burnout, right? Stress is about perception. So it's having these circumstances. And then it's the story that you tell yourself about what it means. So when you have all these things going on in your life and you tell yourself the story, like, I can't handle this. This is too much for me. Then you start feeling overwhelmed. And then if that's like your story every day, when you go into the office or every day, when you're trying to run your life out of your house or whatever the case may be, that's when it becomes chronic and it starts to take effect on you. But there's a lot of people that are doing everything you just described that have the constant emails and the social media and they're working from home or whatever the case may be. And they're not burned out. They might be stressed. They might be a little tired, but you know, then they, they finish work, they do something to unwind and they're okay. It's when you're not okay and that like you never, you never feel like it's over. And what happens with people who are burned out is usually it's like they can't turn work off. 
So even when they're done working and they're like, oh, now I'm going to go read a book or I'll go do something for myself. It's like they can't sleep. They can't do all these things that are supposed to help them recover because their mind is still like thinking about work. And so it's like even when you're not physically like sitting in front of a computer and doing work, if your brain is focused on work then you're still working in a sense, right? It doesn't allow you to recharge. And that's what we're saying with a lot of people is it's just they're they're running out of steam. And that's just one version of it. Um, then we have people who are kind of like you're describing, uh, they go through a certain pattern. And that's one of the things that I'm actually very interested in is somebody's pattern that leads to their version of burnout. And it's true that they might be that way in life in general. Like I have people pleasers who burn out because they're constantly giving all of their energy away by trying to take care of everybody else. They don't have boundaries in place. They're always saying yes to every request. The The idea is they might be like that in life, but then they reach a certain point where they have diminishing returns or like they just can't keep it up because now they are running out of juice. And that's what the burnout is. It's like you've been doing this for so long and you've been kind of keeping it all right. And then at some point it starts to take a toll on you. And if you're not going to change something, it's just con- continuing to strip away from you, from your health, from your you know, mental health from your sanity. And that's where something really needs to change. And people are usually quick to point out their circumstances, but not so quick to realize what else is going on that maybe they're bringing into the situation that if they make those changes, they could be in those same situations and have a very different experience. First, I want to circle back to what you said in the beginning, and you you mentioned stress a bunch of times, obviously, but in the beginning, when we were talking, you mentioned the difference between chronic and acute stress. And I think that this is important because people talk about stress a lot as a negative thing. But if we understand that there's chronic and acute stress, and we understand that everything that is change is a result of stress in some way, right? And that acute stress can be a positive thing. We need stress to push us forward in a certain way. And then, you know, you're talking about that person who's like a people pleaser and they're, they're, they reach a point of diminishing returns because for someone like that in the beginning, it's, it's good for them, right? They get, they get something out of it. They get enjoyment out of it. They get, they, they feel good. There's a reason that we like all of the stuff that we do is for a, 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 a good purpose at first, right? No one, no one puts themselves under, under undue stress, because they think it's going to hurt them. We do it because we are getting some value out of it at some point in time. So I I guess I'm wondering if you could just elaborate a little bit on the differences. How can I understand where that fine line is of like, when I'm working for, when I'm doing something that's positive for me stressfully, or when I'm doing something that's actually taking away and now I'm missing the, I'm I'm going in reverse. Okay. So the difference between Chronic and acute stress is pretty easy to figure out in the sense that we've all had experiences that were stressful. Like, let's say you're going on a trip and you're like running late to your flight 
that's super stressful because you're like, oh, I might miss my flight. And then what am I going to do? Or if you miss your flight and then you're like, now what am I going to do? Right. That's super stressful. But it's in that one moment. And it's not like something that you have to re-experience every single day. So you figure it out. Right. You catch the next flight. You book your hotel room for the night, whatever you have to do. You get on that flight. You get back to your normal life. And then you kind of forget about that experience. So that was an acute stressor. But what we see with burnout is it's not this one thing happened and now that was really stressful. Oh, thank God it's over. It's the kind of thing that is happening day in and day out. So I'll give you an example. I just talked to a client. He works for a very highly intense corporation. The expectation is that you are on. And so they are emailing him all the time. And so we're trying to figure out a time to meet. And he says, well, maybe we can, maybe I can like wake up at seven in the morning and meet with you because then it'll be before work. Because if I meet with you in the middle of the day, there'll be like 30 emails and then I'll be a big distraction and I'll be, I'll I'll have a hard time paying attention. And that's just the culture of where he works. It's just, they bombard you with constant like emails. And he was describing even when he went on vacation and he had backup and everybody knew that he was gone for the week, he was getting emails. And then, um, it was about setting that boundary. And he said for the first time in all the years that he'd been working there, he didn't answer like 90% of the emails. And I said, well, what happened when you didn't answer them? And he said, well, then they would text me. We're talking about this thing, this constant pounding, whether it's the demands, whether it's you've got a boss who's like micromanaging kind of thing, and that really rubs you the wrong way, or you work with a colleague and you have to collaborate with them day in and day out, and the two of you just can't get along. And so there's nowhere to go because that's the person on your team. So it's like the kind of thing that you're constantly coming up against as opposed to that one thing that's off to the side, like that flight that just happened and you're over it. This is my life. Like every day looks like this and it's a grind. Doesn't working on stress or working on your burnout simply add more stress and burnout? Like, wouldn't it be easier for me to just ignore everything? Like how, like if I already have so much on my plate, if I'm that guy who has a million emails and a million, this and a million that, and now you're telling me, okay, like now we need to, we need to de-stress you. And here's a, here's 18 steps that you can do to, to de-stress or something like that. Like, isn't that kind of defeating the whole purpose? I love that question because that's how people typically think before they start the process. So what I said to this one client is actually it would be really good for us to meet in the middle of the day because it's a good exercise for you to not allow those emails to become a distraction. And in the beginning, it's going to create a lot of anxiety and you're going to be like, oh, my God, when I get off this call, I'm going to have all these emails and, you know, what am I going to do? But as you start to learn some of these tools that I teach, it becomes easier to rethink the way that you engage with your work. And I have to say that it's not just our environment that creates burnout. It's the, it's kind of like the marriage between our environment, our personality and our programming. And we bring so much of ourselves into the workplace 
So it's important to understand yourself and then find these tools that help you think differently. You know, we've all had, we all come to the, the workplace based on our upbringing. We, we don't even realize how much of our programming really manipulates the way that we show up in terms of how we think about things and how we feel and what things trigger us and whether we set boundaries or not and just so many things, right? And so when you learn a lot of these things that I teach, it actually gives you a completely different perspective and allows you to show up in a new way, which is why I always tell people before you quit your job, if it's not working out, let's first work together and figure out like if you can actually show up and do it in a new way. And then from that place, once you figure that out, then you can make a decision whether you, you like now the work that you're doing because you're showing up differently or there's something better out there for you and it's time to change. It's interesting. You, you mentioned the word programming a few times, and that, that's an interesting one to me. And before you had talked about story. So I, I kind of see those as, as, as similar things. And for that, that example you just used, right? Like this guy is like, okay, well, if I talk to you in the middle of the day, then I'm going to get all these emails and, and whatever. And then you're like, and then what happens if you don't answer them? He's like, well, then they're going to be yelling at me. And like, but that's a story that I've created most of the time. It's like the world is, everything's going to burn down and the, the world's going to stop spinning if I just don't answer my phone for a little, a, a little while. And it's, it's this internal programming that can come from, from our childhood. It can come from past experience with our parents or from a, a previous job or from a job that, that, that had, that, that, that could be the truth, but it isn't always, but that stuff is super hard to overcome and to not feel like it's real. Like, even if it is a story or a programming from the past, it feels like the truth to me. So how do I get over that when that is the scariest thing and the programming or my story or my feelings or my thoughts are what's keeping me from doing what's best for me? That is such a beautiful question. And yes, you're right. The programming is from our childhood and it can be really scary that's the work that we do together is to, first of all, to highlight, this is what your programming is because a lot of times people aren't even aware. So it always starts with self-awareness. And then in the work that we do is I help people to think differently about what's happening. Like, so an example with this particular VIP client that I mentioned is that he, his, his brain is the kind of brain that tends to catastrophize. Okay. And that's something that's been very helpful to him in his career, because, you know, in certain careers, they want you to be able to identify like all the things that could go wrong and create some plans around them. And so they need people to be able to think like that. But when you can't turn that off and now you're catastrophizing about everything all the time in your relationships, you know, in your personal life, it's just exhausting and that's what's happened to him. So now even with the emails, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of catastrophizing that's happening about like, what happens if I disappear for an hour? So I'll say something like, let's do an experiment. Why don't you take 15 minutes, give yourself a break in the middle of the day and let's see what happens and then come back and tell me, you know, and I very much encourage people to take the scientific approach where we have a hypothesis, you go out 
you do the experiment, you show up with the data and we take it from there. He was like, listen, I, I have, this is just the, this is my career. This is what people do. Like, this is the expectation. Like, I don't know how else to do it. We have to be totally constantly in the know people. If I, if I take any time out, like someone, I'm going to lose my job. Something bad's going to happen. I can't afford this. I've got kids. I've got a mortgage. And so it's, it is the story that we tell ourselves is a lot of fear in the background that creates the story. And that story did not start from the job. It started from way earlier, like from childhood, right? And there's usually something that creates this way of thinking in the brain. And so this particular client ended up taking the 15 minutes and it was like a total wake up call for him to be like, oh my God, I took 15 minutes and nobody noticed. And then he got really bold and he took an hour and then he went and he was playing Frisbee with his kids in the backyard and he was enjoying his life for the first time. And then he was like, nobody noticed. Right. And so we kept playing with it until he was able to shape his job to fit the life that he wanted to live. And even with all the demands and the emails and everything else, he was able to do it differently. And then it wasn't like killing him anymore. And even though he got it to a place where it was much more manageable and so forth, he ended up finding something that was even better. But that was the beginning of the conversation. It was like, I'm not happy. And it was like, okay, well, let's tweak some things. Then it showed him that it was possible to tweak them. And then he got really hungry. He's like, and then what else is out there? And so that's really a beautiful thing where you can give yourself permission to dream even bigger. And then he found an even better job that gave him even more work-life balance. So I think it's just like waking up from that story of this is how it is. This is how it has to be. There's nothing else. Like, and then I live in that fear of like, it's either this or nothing and just opening yourself up to possibility. Open yourself up to possibility. I also wrote, wrote that down just now. Give yourself permission to dream bigger. I love, I love so much about what you just said and just touch on for people listening, catastrophizing a bit, because like, this is such a huge one that so many of my clients and your clients and, and people just people in general deal with. And for those who are listening, who've never heard this term before, it's pretty self-explanatory and you probably got it from context clues there. But catastrophizing is just when you jump right to the worst case scenario all the time, right? It's like, this could happen. And this really, really, really bad thing that can that can happen, but probably won't happen, but it could happen. And that's always where where my head goes. So for you know, people who deal with this, it's always like, yeah, but it's it's always a kind of like, but what if type of thing. And this yeah. can be paralyzing and can like make us stuck in fear. But it's as you just said, and it's kind of what I was alluding to in the beginning about good stress and bad stress, where yes, this guy was catastrophizing and oh my God, I can't, I can't put my phone down because if someone calls or whatever, but that came from a positive thing, which was he got to this job because he was able to see all the angles he was. So, so in his head, his brain learned to do that because it's like, Whoa, like this is, this is a good thing. I'm climbing the corporate ladder because I'm seeing things that other people aren't because I'm being so hyper aware of all this, of all this stuff. So that's my, my only point with that is to say that it's like all of this stuff comes from a good place. 
This is not your brain trying to sabotage you. This is your brain trying to keep you safe. This is your brain trying, uh, learning something over time. You know, again, talk about kids, talk about parents, talk about your parents, you know, people's kids whose parents got into a fight and they learned how to be, how to be quiet all the time or how to always, always listen because of the, if, they, if their dad called them once, it was bad. And if their dad called them a second time, so it's like, I gotta, you know, gotta pick up the first time or it's crazy stuff. You know, people, people deal with, deal with crazy, crazy things. And having that awareness, as you said, awareness is my, my, my favorite thing. I think that I teach in my courses, every, every course I teach the very first lesson I, I do with all my clients is self-talk. And the first thing I teach in self-talk is awareness, because the first thing you have to be is aware people like, as you said, are, are just unaware of, of these things that, that just are going on around us all the time. And to take that and kind of pivot, because we've been talking a lot about burnout and stress and like, I feel like the negative side of things, but I want to kind of switch that. And now that we're talking about being hyper aware of these things and like, these are the things that hold us back. But what do you think are the, the keys to mastering this type of stuff, your mindset in a positive way? So how do we, how do we take this awareness and start to move forward? Well, there are a number of skills that I think are important to learn in order to get control back of your mind. So like you said, some, our brain works in a certain way, and that is to not just keep us safe, but to also be really efficient. So we learned certain programs, if you will, certain patterns probably early on, and they served us in some capacity, they may not be serving us anymore, but your brain is like a computer. So it is used to doing things in a certain way. So if we want to change that up, because whatever it is, is now sabotaging us, even though it wasn't meant to, we have to really learn to reprogram. And that means that, you know, if you've got a conscious brain and you've got a subconscious brain and the subconscious brain is the one that is doing the whole thing on autopilot, you've got to now use your conscious brain to direct that subconscious brain in terms of what you want it to do. And you got to be repetitive and you got to stick with it. So it's hard to do in the sense that your subconscious brain is like, we already got a program. Like I'm trying to just be efficient. What do you need that other thing for? Like, forget about that. Let's just keep doing things the way we've been doing it always. And you're like, no, but I want this other thing. And so you have to really be consistent. And that's why they say it takes 30 days to build a habit. We have to essentially do the same thing over and over again. And maybe in this case, it just means that you tell yourself what you want or that you, you know, this is why people will do things like repeat a mantra or do a visualization exercise of what they want. We're reminding our brain of the new program that we're trying to create. Once you get to the point where that sticks, then that gets automated and then life is so much easier. And what's so beautiful is even when it doesn't happen in this way that I just described, what happens is people, when they don't have an experience that's different from what they already know, they don't think it's possible or they don't even consider it as an option. So as an an example, one of my VIP clients was a perfectionist. And so she was coming to work an hour early and staying at work two hours after the fact to just make sure everything gets done exactly. And, you know, crossing her T's and dotting her I's and the whole thing. 
And so it wasn't even in the realm of possibility that she could leave work on time. And after we worked together for a few weeks, she was leaving work on time. And I asked her, like, what was that like for you? And it was like, I was surprised. I didn't think it was possible. But what it did was I, I focused her. And so all of a sudden, now she's at work and she's prioritizing. She's asking herself important questions. She's like, does this need to get done today? And then she is more strategic in what she spends her time on as opposed to I got to get everything done. What that meant is that she's really doing the most important things, which we know from like time management is like what they tell us we need to do. And then she's able to get it done and go home and have a life. And when we don't do that, that's where we burn out because again, we don't have that opportunity to recover from work. And that's what was happening with her. She was spending all of her time at work. And then by the time she got home, she didn't have time for herself. It was just time to go to sleep, wake up the next day and do it all over again. And that's a recipe for burnout. So I think there's a few things that can help you to think differently and to do things differently. And sometimes it goes as deep as your programming. And sometimes it's just doing like a little behavioral experiment and trying something out and seeing that it's possible. And then being like, oh, actually I can do this. And if I can do this, what else can I do? And it starts to just give you a little bit more confidence and you feel a little bit more optimistic, which is the opposite of the cynicism you feel when you're burned out. Mm-hmm. I love that. So we're, we're talking the same language. I, I, I always talk to my clients about building momentum and it's about building, building those small wins. Exactly. Like you just said, it's like, Oh, I, I did that. That's possible. What, what else, what else is possible? And, and we're always spiraling. We're either spiraling up or spiraling down. People think that, you know, we, we don't really get to stay the same. And that's why we need to build those positive momentum that those, those tiny habits, as you, as you talked about, and those, those, you know, small incremental changes And it's one of those things, again, like stuff like this, like perfectionism, catastrophizing, while different people have it at different levels, of course, I think this is just stuff that, that everyone deals with. If the answer to life were do more, we would have cracked the code already, right? Like people think like, like more is better, but if that were the answer, you know, it would be done. You can, everyone can do more. And that's what everyone's trying to do. More workouts, cut more calories, work more hours. This, and it's like, clearly there's a disconnect because if it was that simple, we would all just do that. And everyone would be fit and healthy and rich and happy and all those things that we're striving for. But clearly it's, it's not so simple. So sometimes we have to do less to do more. Sometimes we have to just do less period. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's addition by subtraction or something like that. And, and sometimes it's the things that we don't think we need. Like you said to your, about your client playing Frisbee with their kid, you know, like never in a million years would someone say like, what's the key to my financial success is playing Frisbee in my backyard during a workday. And yet by taking that time to not be on calls, to de-stress, to not burn out, to then not quit his job, probably in a roundabout way, made him a lot more successful than an extra, than answering one more email or, or being on one more work call. So I, I think that's just like a really cool, you know, everything comes full circle type of thing. You've worked with so many high achievers. Is there any common string or common theme that you see as 
a secret to success or, or a common theme and you see that you see in all of your high achieving clients where that's something that you can say like, yeah, this is what all of the, the, the top level people do. I would say the number one thing is emotional intelligence. The more you understand how your brain works and the way that you, that the way that you think about things affects how you feel as opposed to you feel the way that you do because of your circumstances, the more power you have to making change and to creating the kind of life that you want to live. I think that's the most powerful thing there is. Could you just elaborate a little bit on emotional intelligence and then, you know, what would like just one or two things that you would recommend for people who want to, I don't know, maybe sharpen that skill. So emotional intelligence is broken up into four areas which is, you know, just to not complicate things too much, I would say just focus in right now on the first two, which are self-awareness and self-management. And basically what that means is that you, you become more aware of your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors, and how everything is tied together. And that's essentially cognitive behavioral therapy, if you're familiar with how that whole thing works, right? We say that there is a circumstance or an event, something happens, and then you have a thought about it, and that thought makes you feel a certain way, and then you do something because you have that feeling. And so if you ever want to create a result in your life, you have to start from like the feeling or, or well, the action, like what's the action that I need to take in order to create the result in order to do this action? What emotional state do I need to be in? How do I need to think about this in order to create that emotion within me? And so we can reverse engineer our results that way. You have to be able to connect the dots. And that's what emotional intelligence or cognitive behavioral therapy are basically teaching you how to do. And when you have that, you can also, when you get upset about something, like I just recently talked to a client of mine who is dealing with people, right? She's running a business. She's got a parent who's recently widowed. Like she's dealing with stuff and people have their own things that they're going through. And so she's the kind of person who takes things really to heart. She gets really upset with herself as if she's not doing enough. If the other person is upset or complaining, she takes it personally, like it's because of her. And so I said to her, why don't you write it all down? Because you might know these things in your head, but until you write it down, it doesn't fully register. And so she sat down, she did the exercise. She really wrote down like, this is what happened. This is what the person did or said. This is what I made it mean. This is how it made me feel. Like she literally took herself step-by-step through it. And she said, it was so impactful in such a short amount of time. When you dump all the things from your head onto paper, you can have a total transformation in how you feel because it makes everything so much clearer. You know, when we keep it up in our head, it's like we spin. You were talking about how we're always spiraling. And that's really true, whether it's in terms of our thoughts or our feelings, there's always something going on in the background, like we don't stop. So to be able to press pause on that and say like, wait, let, before we move on, let me just write it all down exactly what happened. Let me see how I can connect the dots between what just happened, what she said or she did and 
how I now feel there is a step in between. What did I make that mean? What is the thought that went through my head? How did I interpret that situation? And then you can see that it's the story I told myself that caused me to feel hurt or that caused me to feel disappointed or that made me really pissed off. There is that in-between step. And we often skip over that because we're like, well, I'm upset because you did this. And so we're not taking responsibility for how we feel because we're convinced that our circumstances directly affect how we feel, but it's really that there's some sort of in-between step and that is what your mind is producing. Yeah. Wow. That in-between step is, is, is everything. Cause like you could say, if I'm arguing with someone, I could say, well, you made me really angry, but in reality, that's impossible. You can say something and then I can make myself angry, right? And then like no one else can impose that on me. And that's because I chose to pass it through my filters and, you know, my stories and programming. And, and I think that being able to slow down with, with writing journaling is, is so powerful. Every one of my clients recently, I've been really just leaning on journaling. I'm like, I don't know, write on, I don't know the answer, write on it, right? <laughs> you know, take some time and write it out, get your feelings out of your head. And I, I, th- I like specifically writing because it, it forces us to slow down. Our brain is a computer, like you said, and there's a million things going on, but if I have to write it down, I can only write one thing at a time. So it, it acts as like a filter where it, it, yes. it makes it, it makes us slow down our thoughts to be like, yeah, I can be thinking about a thousand things, but I can only be writing one thing right now. Something I'm curious about being that you do have more of an academic background and, you know, you understand that the, the actual workings of the brain and, and that kind of stuff, what your opinion is on, on mindfulness. Mindfulness is huge. And I think that when we talk about slowing down, the practice of mindfulness is what trains your brain to slow down. There are different ways that you can do it. A lot of times people talk about meditation. I think that's a really great tool to help you become more mindful. And that's how I like to think of meditation. It's a tool that is training your brain to slow down, to be more intentional and the effects of it are unbelievable. I mean, it just really changes the wiring in your brain. And one of my personal favorite experiences of meditating is that it actually made me less reactive. So when we think about like, if you're the kind of person who tends to be very reactive, whether it's like that you are impatient with other people or that you're easily angered or that you say things that you then regret or whatever the case may be, you can work really hard on containing yourself or you can use meditation to train your brain to just not be reactive. And then it's not really hard anymore because you're not having to be so self-aware all the time. So it's kind of interesting. A recent experience I've had another way to kind of build that mindfulness in or that idea of slowing down is, you know, I think you mentioned yoga. And as we know, there's the whole yin and yang. Well, I just kind of recently learned about something called yin yoga, which is a very passive kind of yoga. And so you might ask, well, what's the point? Well, the point is you sit in a pose and you don't move for like three to five minutes. And when you do that, the idea is you may not be comfortable, but you have to sit still. 
And that just means that you focus on the breath. And that is a certain training as well for everything to slow down. You, you were so used to like being active, even in yoga is like, oh, let me do this like power yoga. Let me like, you know, be the most yogi person out there. And this is a very different kind of experience. It's like to just slow everything down. And I have to say, it's something that if you're burned out can be a great tool because you're so used to the hustle and bustle, which is why you burned out probably. So to do something that's totally the opposite of that would be meditation or like a yin yoga where you're doing as little as possible, but in that doing, there is still stress, right? You're stressing yourself out to do it in a certain way. It's not just totally mindless, but it's actually the opposite. It's being very mindful to clear your mind and to not focus on anything. And as your mind goes astray, you bring it back. And when you're in the pose, you might feel the discomfort, but you just breathe through it and you know that you're going to get through it in three to five minutes. So those are some fantastic processes that I think can help people to develop more mindfulness in their life, which I think will help bring that uh, balance back of the yin and the yang. I don't know how true this is or where I heard this, but my understanding is that that's basically how yoga was created was basically for these like monks in the, you know, mountains, wherever the hell they were. And they would put them in these crazy positions as a form of more intense meditation. Basically, basically when you could meditate already for hours at a time, just sitting there, just meditating. Now it's like, well, how do we make this harder for you? Okay. We're going to put you in a twisty pretzel position. And now you have to meditate. Now you're in physical, now you're in physical pain or physical like discomfort at least. And now it's like, how do we, how do we meditate through this? And although our brain and our body is telling us, no, I don't like this. No, I don't like this. No, I don't like this. Can I think my way through it or not think my way through it and let my mind relax and kind of just uh, that understanding, like you just said, it's three minutes, it's four minutes. You know, it's, 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 you know, when I was personal training, I always tell people, you know, like, listen, you can do anything for a minute. You know, you know, you, that's a commercial, you know, you can do, that's a, that's a, that's a short YouTube video. You know, you can do, you can, you can deal with a lot of stuff. Our, the, the human brain and the human body are amazing things. And, you know, a lot of times we think that we can't, it's like, well, there's no way I could, there's no way I can stay in this position for another 10 seconds. It's like, well, you probably could, you know, there's no way that I could, that I could fit, that I could figure this out. But it's like, you probably can. We, if we just get into the habit of giving ourselves a little bit more credit, um, I think that that goes, will take a lot of people uh, a, a long way and, and, and having a physical practice like yoga is a great way to do it. And having a mental practice like meditation or mindfulness or journaling, I think is, is a great thing as well. So I want to start to wrap up here and, and be respectful of your time, but there, there's one question that I, I do ask every one of my guests, and that's to leave listeners with one simple action step that they can take right away today, as soon as they finish this episode, as soon as they put their headphones down to start living a healthier, happier life. And you've already gone through a bunch of them. So you can feel free to reuse one. Or if you have something else that burning a hole in your, in your mind that you want to lay out for us, I'd love to hear it. One of the things that I find is that people don't recognize burnout in themselves early enough. And so one of the things that I've done is create a burnout checklist, which I'd love to share with your audience that they can download to check in and see how they're doing. And so if you want to grab that, 
Uh, it's on my website. So go to drsharongrossman.com forward slash burnout checklist. Awesome. Yeah. And I will have uh, the links to that in the show notes for anyone listening. You can just go and click the link right away and go grab that. Nothing more actionable than a simple checklist and just anything else that you're, you're excited about that you're doing, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? And what else do you have uh, on the docket for 2022? The best place to go is my website, which again is drsharongrossman.com. And for 2022, I am working right now on putting together a TED Talk. So stay tuned. Wow, that's awesome. That's so cool. That's like literally on my vision board every day is uh, I will do a TED Talk. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have in store. Um, that's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for this. I'm sure this is going to be super helpful for people. Um, yeah, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks again. All right. That's it for today. As always, thank you for being here. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen during your workout, your walk, your commute, or whatever else it is you're doing. If you got some value out of this episode, I encourage you to hit that little share button and send it to a friend. I personally always share podcasts with my friends and family, and they are always grateful for it because it's a way we can all learn and grow together. If you want to help support my show and help me grow, leave an honest rating review in iTunes. And if you really love what I'm doing here and want to support the show, you can click the link in the show notes to buy me a coffee. I self-fund this podcast with no ads and no sponsors just because I want to help more people live healthy, happy lives. If you believe in the mission like I do and want to help me grow, then that is a small way that you can get involved. Thank you again for your love, your listens, and your support, and I'll see you here next week. But until then, stay healthy, stay happy, my friends.